right, thanks, Kendall. Okay. Hey, good morning, everybody. Round two, again, who, who was here for the first Bible study over at the tent? Okay. So you were at one of the two, though. Yeah? Okay. All right. So I was just thinking yesterday, three hours. Well, that's two and a half, right? I guess, technically, when you're sitting. That's a long time to sit. So uh, I'm not planning on getting up and running around or anything, but uh, that we would just be able to focus in and tune in for the next hour and 15. Um, quick review from where we were yesterday. So we talked, uh, opened up the story of Gideon. We talked about where he found himself at the beginning of his story in this sin cycle that the people of God often went through throughout the Old Testament, right? Uh, starting with peace, there was peace for 40 years in the land, and then all of a sudden, they start disobeying God, running away from God, ignoring his commands, fall into sin, and then they find themselves in oppression, and they are uh, being ransacked every year by the Midianites and a few of the other ites, and uh, all of their stuff is being taken, right? And they're in oppression for seven years. And um, Gideon finds himself in the wine press, uh, threshing wheat, and they've kind of moved into this place of repentance, beginning to call out to God, asking for help because they're now at the point of starvation and um, the angel of the Lord shows up and begins to talk to Gideon, right? Uh, God is with you, mighty warrior. So there's this identity claim. And then yesterday we talked about this whole five levels of change is where we ended yesterday. Um, I don't know how many of you, maybe it was the first time you really heard this explained this way. I know the first time I heard this, um, it totally transformed my perspective in understanding the importance of who God says I am. Because uh, once I actually begin to believe that, again, it influences everything in my life, right? What I know I'm capable of because of his power that's at work within me, uh, my behavior because of that and the environments then that I walk into, I just know that wherever I go, whatever I do, because God is in me, there's a certain amount of authority I have, not because of who I am, but because of who God is in me, that when I walk into a place, I'm a carrier of truth and I'm actually a carrier of life. And so every conversation I enter into, every environment I walk into, I can walk into with a certain amount of authority to guide people toward hope and toward truth uh, and toward life, right? And so that's kind of where we, uh, where we went yesterday. Uh, talked about the power that lies and fear can have over us. Talked about the difference between circumstantial awareness and spiritual awareness. And um, so uh, what I want to do just to kind of get us uh, back together in that space. What we, what we talked about is give you about five minutes together, whoever you're sitting next to, having conversation, uh, what continues to stand out to you from yesterday. And it could be from our time. It could be from Jason's time if you were here, uh, if you were with Ellen or any of the evening sessions. Okay, What continually is standing out to you this week? And if anything specifically from our time, what was that? All right. So take about five to seven minutes or so, talk about that, and then we'll dive into today's stuff. Okay. All right, go ahead. Okay. Trying to get this mic to be in the right spot here in the right, right volume. Um, I'd love to hear just what, what's been standing out, uh, maybe specifically from our time yesterday here, what continues to stand out or what continues to kind of impact or ruminate in your mind as you uh, listen to what we had to talk about yesterday? God loves us right where we are. God loves us right where we are, even if it is in a cave or we're not supposed to be. Yeah. 
have to stay focused on Jesus. Have to stay focused on Jesus. Good. Mm. Yep. She said God sees more potential in us than, than we see in ourselves. Good. Our identity is in Christ and not in Yes. Good. Yeah, I was going to say the identity piece, you're kind of building for us. Like, don't get your identity from your family or your job or, or the world. Get it from Christ. But then it's specific for each of us. And I think we all want that. But we're a little nervous about, did we hear it right? Or was it our own flesh? Or mm. was it world or our upbringing that led us to that idea. I mean, we all are okay with it as long as we know it's from God. It's just, that's the tricky part. Yeah. So, like, you're willing to do anything. It's like, but am I hearing it correctly? That is my yeah, it's good. And that's often a question, right? Like, as I'm trying to hear God and, and obey him, am I actually hearing him? Like, is that God or is that something else or like bad pizza I ate last night? Like, what? <laughs> what am I hearing? How do I confirm if this is really God's voice and his identity for me? And we're going we're gonna to walk into some of that um, as we go forward. Uh, but I, I want to spend a little bit of time in prayer this morning with all of you um, in this area specifically of identity. Because I think whether or not we've really thought about it enough yet, um, God may have been very clear on some things yesterday. Um, but there are likely some things of identity or pieces of identity or, or lies, uh, false identity that we have agreed with in our lives that have uh, really shaped where we are or our way of thinking about ourselves or about God or about another person. And so I just want to walk us through uh, some prayer. I'm going to kind of guide us through and we're just going to listen. And um, this is not, uh, it's just prayer, but if God is saying something to you or putting something on your heart, write it down. Like, don't try to wait till the end of the prayer because you want to keep your eyes closed the whole time. It's okay to open your eyes and write stuff down. This is just dialogue with God like we would dialogue with, with a friend of ours, right? Which is what prayer is. It's both talking and listening. And so uh, I'm gonna, I want to walk us through a little bit of that and just let God do whatever he wants to do uh, with us in this area of identity. And then we'll continue to move into content for today, okay? Um, so I'm going to pray. God, thank you for this morning, and I'm so grateful for the opportunity we have to uh, talk about your truth and the implications of that for our own lives. And we came here this week from all kinds of places, uh, all different towns and cities, all different work environments, home environments, uh, family circumstances. There's just all kinds of things going on in our life. And uh, this is a place where we can come and really focus in for a little bit uh, in our relationship with you, to listen to you, to be guided by you, to, to kind of recalibrate or recenter our lives on you and the truth that you have for us. And um, God, I'm convinced there's nothing more important than uh, understanding our, our true identity. Because from that, uh, everything is influenced. And so uh, right now, God, as we sit here and listen to your spirit, I would just ask first and foremost, is there anything, uh, any false identity we have agreed with in our own lives uh, when it comes to who you are, God? Have we believed something false about you like Gideon did, that you're distant, that you're absent, that you've abandoned us, that uh, you've done this bad thing to us. Um, is there anything that we've agreed with about your character that is false? And if there is, please show us that uh, right now. We're just going to listen for a minute. Just show us that, please.
And God, there's also probably some things that you want to remind us about, about who you are and your character and your heart toward us. Uh, and it may be something different, uh, depending on who we are and our circumstances, uh, a different character, a different attribute of you that we really need to come to agreement with of who you really are. And so uh, whatever it is you want to share with us about who you are this morning and remind us of, uh, please do that right now as we listen, please. God, there are many relationships that we have in our life, whether it's spouse, kids, co-workers, neighbors, uh, other family members. And sometimes uh, our relationship is influenced by a belief we have about ourselves in that relationship or about the other person and, and who they are. And we've actually agreed with something false about them. Uh, and if that's the case, God, I pray that you just bring that to mind right now for us. And that you would help bring us to a place of forgiveness. That we would ask for forgiveness or that we would forgive maybe somebody who's wronged us or falsely labeled us. That we wouldn't hold that anymore and carry that around anymore and let that influence anymore. That that would have no more power or influence over us. And whatever person maybe we have in mind. Jesus, if you were to speak to us about how you viewed that person. You created them in your own image. It's the truest thing about any human is that we're created in your image. God, what would you want to remind us about when it comes to that person? How do you view them? What would you say about them? Just remind us of that right now so that we can see them the way you see them, please. God, those first two areas uh, can often seem like the easy ones to deal with. And the hardest one often is ourselves and being able to, to view ourselves the way you view us. Uh, your, your, the greatest commandment you gave us was to love you with everything we are and then to love our neighbor as ourself, assuming we actually love ourselves. Oftentimes we don't. Negative self-image, negative self-esteem. And we've agreed about things in our own life about ourselves that simply aren't true but really, really have influenced our lives or have limited us on what you've actually are calling us to do. But we don't think we're capable. We don't think we can do it. And we can't apart from you. But that's just the thing. We, we, if we're a follower of you, we have your spirit in us, which makes us capable of anything. And so uh, whatever a lie maybe we have agreed with about our own self, that you would just bring that to light right now. Bring that to the surface and help us identify that for what it is. Please just show us. God, it's one thing to be able to identify certain lies about ourselves and to claim them for what they are. Uh, but if it's not ever replaced with anything, 
it's probably going to just going to grow back. And so, uh, right now, God, just remind us again, as you view us, how do you view us? If there was a name you wanted to give us or a characteristic you want to point out about us that you see in us, what is it that you'd want to speak to us right now? Please just give us, give us that. And we're listening. God, whatever it is you want to remind us of about ourselves, it can be really hard for us to actually go to the next layer of belief and really believe that. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would continue to impress that on our hearts this week, reminding us again of who you've created us to be so that we can fully step into what it is you've created us for. We thank you for spending time with us. Thank you for continuing to lead us now, Holy Spirit, that our hearts would stay open, our minds would stay open. Uh, yes, there's noises all around us kids playing and in in their classes and i have to imagine there was a moment for the disciples that was like this right here where jesus you were trying to teach and then all these noises of kids which is why the disciples said get them out of here and you said no no let them come it's okay they're in a good place and so help us to tune in while they have fun as well and we listen to you now as our teacher in jesus name amen uh, again, if there's anything you want to need to write down or kind of capture from that moment, uh, please do that. Well, one more thing I want to point out about this five levels of change um, is uh, the way that we can use this for um, parenting. Uh, so I have three young kids, nine, seven, and five, and uh, we are not perfect at this by any means. But one of the things we were taught about how to parent, because the confusion that people have is that I actually am what I've done, right? We talked about that yesterday, what determining the who, and we can begin to believe that. So my actions have actually made me who I am. Well, the, the truth is, no, you are not what you've done or have failed to do. It's not who you are. It's not your identity. God has given you identity. And so uh, when it comes to parenting, a lot of times uh, we... You know, a kid does something wrong and you got to discipline, right? And then you got to do it again and again and again and again. And uh, what we have to be very careful of is in the discipline, removing the behavior from the identity. So let's say they do something bad. Well, it's not, hey, you need to sit here because you're a bad kid. You're a bad boy. You're a bad girl. No, actually, they're not. They're not bad. God said they were good. What they did was bad. It's like three layers apart, right? And the five levels. And so in a, just in a, in a parenting uh, framework, uh, one thing we try to do, again, we don't get this perfect, but sitting, sitting our kids down and reminding them, hey, God, God made you good. And he made you to love and to be kind. That's who you are. What you did was wrong and there's consequences for that. Because if you're not careful, all of a sudden they can begin to believe what they, that, that they are what they've done. And it just becomes who they are, right? There was a story uh, in our church of a, a kid who was in the high school youth group years back. And uh, he was at his table with discussion and small group discussion. And he was just disrupting the whole group. And so the leader said, hey, what's going on? He said, nothing. He's like, oh, that's not true. And he kept doing it. And so there was a break and he pulled the kid out in the hallway and he said, hey, listen, what's going on? And the kid's like, nothing. He's like, well, clearly it's not true. So you can either tell me or we'll pray about it. He's like, oh, no, don't pray, as if it was some threat. <laughs> and he's like, he says this, 
Well, my mom always said I'm the wild one. I'm the wild one. My sister's a smart one. And so if that's who he is, and he believes it, what's he capable of? Wild things. And what's his behavior going to be? Wild. Which is going to make his environment wild. And if it's not, like a normal small group discussion, he's going to make it wild because it's who he is. See the importance of that? And so uh, just, one again, one piece in parenting, that separating behavior from identity. Or when somebody wrongs you, remembering, oh, what they've done actually isn't who they are. And if you can actually begin to view people the way Jesus views them, and when they mess up or do something wrong, like we all do, he views them as, oh, they're, just, they're broken. They're lost. They don't, there's something they're missing in relationship with me, which is why this is coming out of, this is, the, this is part of the fruit of their life right now. And when you approach it from that place of compassion as opposed to condemnation, it's a big difference about how you'll begin to relate, right? Okay, uh, good. So here's what we're going to do today. I, um, this is a study through the life of Gideon. However, today we're pausing Gideon's story for a second because I want to go uh, a couple more layers into identity and begin to get inter- into some things about surrender and dependency, okay? Which we're going to pick up and get in story tomorrow. Um, and so what we're going to do, we're going to start with this verse, John 3, 3. I want to walk through this story for a second. Um, and here's what Jesus says. He's talking to this guy named Nicodemus. And here's what he said to him. He said, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay, I want you to take, I don't know, five minutes, talk amongst your group, whoever your group is. What did he mean by this? What did, when Jesus said this, what, what did he mean? Okay, what is he saying to Nicodemus through this statement? All right, talk about that amongst yourselves, and then we'll come back together. Go ahead. Let's hear from some of you. What, uh, what are your thoughts? What's going on here? What's Jesus saying in this message to Nicodemus? What does this mean? Okay, so he couldn't keep going on the way he was. There had to be a change coming for him. Okay, what else? I think we have to die to ourselves. Okay, dying to self. Yeah, spiritual birth. Somebody said that back there. Hmm. A process of pain, of squeezing, of becoming focused on the end result, which is Jesus Christ. Hmm. That's good. That's good. Uh, let me read a little bit more of this because, again, context helps, right? Don't People can often take a verse and try to break it out without giving context, which is very dangerous. So I want to give some context. Um, and I'm going to read the first two verses, and then I'll read verse... Uh, verse three. Okay. So I want you to picture yourself in this scene. All right. If, if you got to close your eyes just to think about what's going on or whatever, I want you to put yourself in the scene and here's what's happening. And then we're going to ask, what do you notice about the story? Okay. So here it is starting with verse one. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, rabbi, we know you are a teacher who's come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. 
In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Okay, what do you notice about this story? What stood, what stood out to you as, as I read the rest of the first two verses? What's happening? Came at night. Came at night. Why might that be significant? C- could be because he came in secret, right? Because why? Why would that be a big deal? He's a Jew, he's a Pharisee, and what are the Pharisees trying to do at this point? Get rid of him, right? They're trying to kill him. They, they, they can't stand him because Jesus is messing with their system, right? And so Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees, comes at night. Anything else you recognize about this? He admits that Jesus is the Son of God. Yeah. Yeah, so he almost comes to Jesus with, like, this compliment, right? Like, Jesus, you, like, what you're doing is amazing. God's got to be with you, right? And this is, this is kind of a compliment. And so he comes at night, it's kind of secret, because if, I'm, if I get caught talking to this guy, I'm going to be really considered a traitor, so I don't want to be caught. Um, it could have also been at night. The other reason could have been because Jesus was surrounded by crowds all day long, and this is the one chance he has to kind of have a one-on-one with them, right? So I'm going to go find him at night and, and have this conversation. And then he brings what seems to be a compliment to Jesus. Um, so he says, uh, rabbi, first of all, that just that word alone, acknowledging him as a teacher. Nicodemus was a teacher of teachers. So you had these 140-some um, Pharisees that made up part of the Jewish kind of ruling council, right? But then you had 72 of them who were like the elite of, of the elite. And Nicodemus was one of those. So he's like high up there in the ranks of Pharisees, and he comes and calls Jesus a teacher. Massive compliment from that guy. And so then he keeps going. He says, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. Another huge compliment. For no one can perform the miraculous signs that you are doing if God were not with him. And it seems like Jesus for a second at least could acknowledge like, oh, man, Nick, thanks for coming and, and, you know, showing me a compliment, sparing me a compliment. But that's not Jesus' response. The response is almost like a sharp rebuke. He declares to him. You come at me with that, but I'm going to tell you this, Nicodemus, unless you are born, you'll not see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Like why such a sharp comment back to Nicodemus? Because I think what Jesus is wanting to get across to him is, is this, Nicodemus, you're, you're so close to getting it, but, you're, but you don't quite understand it yet. Like you've done all of your, um, your study, You understand the scriptures. You clearly see there's something different about me that you don't really have. And you're coming at me thinking, okay, uh, clearly God is with you. God's got to be with you. This is where Jesus says, oh man, you're so close, but you're not quite getting it. And he says, the only way you're going to see it is if you're born again. And so being born again, it's a radical uh, analogy, right? Because, I mean, it's a crazy transformation. Like, it's all of a sudden, like, pretend you have no baby, and all of a sudden you have a baby. Big difference, right? I go through my life not having a child, and all of a sudden I have a child placed in my hands. Big difference. Big change. Uh, So Nicodemus, unless you're born again, unless there's some type of transformation like that, like you you didn't have something, and now all of a sudden you have something. 
And uh, when you're born again, you know, you're, there's, there's, there's almost this, this new, what Jesus is referring to, being born again. Because Nicodemus goes on, he says, well, how can a man be, be born again when he's old? He can't crawl back into his mother's womb and be born. Nope, can't do that. And, he, and, he, and then Jesus says, again, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. And so there's these two births that he's talking about, right? And so there's this new rebirth he's trying to get across to him of a spiritual renewal, spiritual rebirth that you were doing something one way and now all of a sudden there's this change and it's completely different. And what Jesus is trying to get across is that when you're born, when you're birthed, there's new DNA, there's a new life uh, birth. And he, what, he, what he wants to get to, across to him is this. You think God is with me, but in fact, Nicodemus, here's the truth. God is actually in me. Big difference. Big difference. If he's just with me, then he can be without me. Like, I could, like, like okay, so let's, this marker, it's with me. And if it's with me, there's a potential chance I could walk away and, and it could be without me, right? I can walk away from that. But if he's in me, no matter where I go, I have his presence. And so he's showing Nicodemus that in is greater than with. In is greater than with. It's not just about all the orthodoxy, all the teaching, all the truth that you understand, all the scriptures you have memorized. Jesus said, I've come uh, and I am the way and the truth and the life, right? He didn't stop with I am the way and the truth because Nicodemus understood up to that point the way of living that God called him to live. And the truth that he had written down up to that point, right? He understood all that, but what he was missing was what? Life. That's what Jesus said, I've come to give. I've come to give life. And life actually happens when you're born again and my spirit comes in you because in is so much greater than with. And when we say yes to following Jesus, scripture says that his Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. And he is in us, uh, and, and so now he's in us and then not just with us. And why is this so important? Because of this thought right here. What's in you makes up who you are, right? It's identity. What's in you makes up who you are and determines what you're capable of, enabling transformation then of things like capabilities, behavior, and environment. It's why we spend so much time in these physical layers because we can control them. These are the things that God has to transform in us. And we need, to, we need his help to transform our belief and our identity so that the rest of these things can begin to take on a new shape. One more thought on this too, um, as we're praying, is when you think about your own prayer life, talking to God, where do the majority of your prayers land when you think of this five levels of change? For me, if I'm honest, a lot of the time, the majority of my prayers land in the physical layers, right? God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? It's, it's these are the prayers. And I think oftentimes we miss God and miss his communication because he's wanting to communicate at an identity level. And we're asking at a physical level or behavior level, right? What would happen if we began our prayers kind of like we did this morning of just, God, remind me again who I am. What do I need to see about what's true about that and, and who you are today? And out of that, moving into some of these other layers, right? It's just, a, it's just a huge difference on how we approach this. And, and it's what he's get, trying to get across to Nicodemus. And so, uh, so if what's in us makes us who we are and then uh, enables these things to be transformed in us, 
uh, just a couple things, reminders of what scripture says about who we are. This is not the exhaustive list, but I want to point out a few, okay? Just as reminders. So scripture says um, that we are a new person, right? When we say yes to Jesus, his spirit comes in us, new creation. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun, a new birth, a rebirth, right? Uh, it also says this, that we are a child of God. But when the time had fully come, God has sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons and daughters. Because you are sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son or a daughter. And since you're a son or a daughter, God has made you also in error. I don't fully comprehend what that actually means. But that's a pretty incredible place to be. Try, just try that. Next time somebody asks you, you know, you introduce yourself, hey, I'm so-and-so, and, oh, what do you do? Or, or you know, what do you do? Oh, I'm actually an heir to the throne of God. <laughs> just try that once. See, see, see what the reaction is, right? Because it's true. It's who we are. Um, he also says that we are a, uh, a masterpiece, right? Uh, Ephesians 2.10, we're a masterpiece. For we are God's masterpiece, uh, which is crazy to think about um, in this statement that, that Paul makes. This, this, I love this verse because this verse actually walks through the five levels of change. Paul reminds us first, we are a masterpiece. It's identity. We, we, we haven't done anything yet, right? We are a masterpiece. He has created us anew, transforming us, which is now gets into some of the beliefs and solidifying that in us. So that we can do what? Now, oh, now we're going to start to do stuff. Now, so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago, which begins to get into physical layers, right? But it starts with identity. We're a masterpiece. Um, the, uh, the next one I want to share is we are also to be a witness. A witness. Uh, Acts 1.8, Jesus said right before he ascended to heaven, he said, I'm going to send my spirit to you. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. We are to be carriers of the good news. And what is a witness? Witness is just somebody who sees something, shares something, right? I saw it, I experienced it, and, I sh and I'm sharing it. That's what a witness is. Uh, and one of the biggest ways we have to witness, um, and we don't all like this, but is social media today, right? It's why it's so popular. Because you know what it is? It's a witness playground. That's all it is. You know, I, here's, here's the burger I ate, and I'm going to show everybody what I ate. Here, look at what my cat does. I'm going to show everybody what my cat does, right? I see it, I share it. I experience it, I share it. It's a witness playground, and that's what we're called to do. The question is just, what's the object of your witness? Jesus said, you're called to be my witnesses. It's, it's who you are. And the final one I want to share is, uh, Scripture says we're more than conquerors, Right? No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Um, and so it's really important to get these identity statements right and really begin to understand who it is that God says we are. Now, I want to pause again as we just talk through that in uh, Greater Than With and some of these identity statements. What's standing out to you about Nicodemus' story, about what Jesus said? and about some of these identity statements uh, that scripture makes about us, okay? Just take a few minutes, talk about those, what's standing out with that, and then we're gonna keep moving. All right. A couple thoughts, what's standing out through that Nicodemus portion and uh, identity of scripture? 
Just a couple thoughts. We versus I. Oh, you're talking about in 3-3? Three, three? John 3-3? Three, three? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's a good that's a good question. Let me uh, let me just talk about that for a second. So uh, so Nicodemus comes in and he says, uh, came to Jesus that night, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher. Have you ever um, heard somebody talk to you and they're kind of like trying to make a point and they're trying to add some of like some uh, some weight to who they are and so they just cut this they just like bunch themselves in with another group of people as if like, oh, I'm just, I'm a, hey, I'm a part of this group and we all think this. Have you ever seen that happen? Um, so like I'm trying to give myself a little bit more status or whatever, like as if he needed it. But hey, we, we, I come in and we know that you are a teacher. Must, must be from God. And so he's, he's putting himself in this company of Pharisees and leaders and this, this we group, which, which is really pretty funny. Um, and so Jesus is going along with it, right? And uh, uh, so Jesus comes down. If you get down to verse um, kind of ten, this starts to starts to change a little bit. Uh, Jesus says, "Hey, you have to be born of the water and the spirit." Okay, um, how can this be? Nicodemus asked, "You are Israel's teacher," said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. See how Jesus flips the we? He just, he, I, I, I just think, and in our church we just finished a series called The Theology of Fun, because I think so many times fun is removed from, uh, from Jesus. Like fun has been stolen, and fun is almost associated with sin, right? Like that's what fun is. Um, and, uh, but no, God is the creator of fun. I mean, think about it. The, the one thing he chose for his people to remember his goodness and faithfulness was what? Festivals. Like party and have fun. This is who God is. God is a God of fun. And so I just, I love, I, I know Jesus. If you, again, if you watch the Chosen uh, series, how many of you have seen any of the Chosen episodes? If you have not, oh man, get on the Chosen app. It's called The Chosen. It's a TV kind of series, but it's incredibly good. Um, and it really brings out the personality of Jesus, his disciples, how they related to one another. And I, I, you can just read through scripture. When you understand God is a God of fun, you begin to see the humor and personality of Jesus come through, right? And so I think this is one of these moments where he's listening to Nicodemus and Nicodemus is coming in like, hey, we know all this. Yeah. And then Jesus is like, oh, by the way, we, I mean, let's talk about we for a second, right? Talking about him and I believe the Father and the, and the Holy Spirit and his his followers. This is what we're proclaiming. Um, so that's that's an interesting point you make, but I think Jesus has some fun with that. All right, what else is standing up? I think it's so difficult to I don't know unless you're a small child and you've been taught this from you were little, you do have your groups of people you're around, and it is kind of your identity. But to be something different, I think, is so difficult. Yeah. You know, we're kind of talking about, you know, it is who we are because of, you know, our family, the way we were brought up, or our friends, or, or whatever. But just think, you know, those labels, you know, and I think we do that with our kids. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm like thinking the grandkids, oh, yeah, you're a little stinker just like your aunt was, or, or whatever. And, uh, 
Yeah. You know, it's so hard not to do that. Absolutely. I, I'll tell you, what, when I heard the five levels of change for the first time, um, I was so much more attuned to all the identity statements that people were making. Anything I am, you are, it's all identity statements. So even this week, as you're walking around, you're going to begin to hear identity statements. Uh, people claiming things about themselves or about somebody else or, oh, yeah, that's just, that's just who they are. Like, you know, you may hear somebody say, well, I, I'm, I'm just a warrior. Like, that's just who I am. Really? So, like, when God created you, he thought, okay, hey, I'm going to make, make this one and you're a uh, warrior. That's who you're going to be. Yep, we're going to ship you out, right? It's just, it's not who God is. And so it's being able to really identify those and begin to, again, let God transform those in us to who he really made us to be. Um, hey, a couple things I want to point out with those identity things. We're going to keep moving. Um, the whole child of God identity. He says uh, in that verse, we're no longer a slave, but a son or a daughter, right? And I think a lot of times, again, when we come to God in relationship with him, uh, we, we, that's how actually we come to him as a slave. Like, okay, you know, God, I know I don't deserve this. Like, I, I'm not in a place where I shouldn't be able to receive this and I don't deserve this, but if you could just do this thing for me, right? Other spa- spaces in, in scripture, it talks about how uh, that we're no longer beggars, but oftentimes we come to God that way too, don't we? Like, hey, God, I'm not really asking for much. I'm not asking for much. If you could just give me this one little thing, like, you just help me pass the test, that'd be great. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not asking for much. Just this one little crumb would be great. And oftentimes we come to him like that. We're not made to be a slave or a beggar. He says we're a child of God. And so when I think about my children coming to me, I'm open arms. Like, I invite them in, and I want them to come to me with what they, what they want, Right? And they have permission and the freedom to actually be able to do that. And so if God says we're a child of his, we don't have to come to him from those places of slave or beggar anymore. It's coming into the father's presence, requesting what we need or being reminded of who we are. Right? That's how he views us. Um, And the other one I want to point out is the masterpiece. When we walk through uh, Ephesians 2.10, oftentimes, again, our our culture gets gets to the point where maybe you get into a funeral situation, and so you're remembering somebody's life, and it might be in that moment, that's the moment where all of a sudden you say, you know, they they did this, 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 and this, and oh, wasn't their life such a masterpiece? Finally, like they lived up to the hype or whatever, they did a bunch of great things, and it was just a masterpiece, and that's like the moment of the funerals when they get declared the masterpiece, right? Um. Jesus says, no, no, you're a masterpiece now. And I want, to actually, I want you to actually begin to live into that now. I'm not going to wait till the end of your life to hopefully you accomplish something. I want to label you now and remind, remind you who you are now so you can accomplish stuff while you're still here, right? Because eternal life actually begins now as a follower of Jesus, not someday in heaven. That's available to us now. Okay, let, let's keep going uh, because there is this question often of, okay, if this is who I am, how come I don't feel it all the time? Like if I said yes to Jesus, I've had somebody say this to me uh, in our in our church before. Hey, you know, if I accepted Christ about thirty years ago. Uh, like, what do I do now? <laughs> you know, like just kind of waiting to find my place in heaven. What do I do now? And it's a sad thing because most of the time people aren't aren't taught what I what I am about to teach. I know I wasn't taught this. Um, and so because we don't feel the newness all the time, why is that? If we're supposed to be a new creation, a new person, have this new life, new identity, how come I don't feel it all the time? I want to talk to you about uh, this problem that Jesus came to solve. Okay, we're going to go back to Genesis for a second. And um, in the book of Genesis, we get to uh, God creates everything, creates Adam and Eve. Everything's good. And he says, hey, uh, there's two trees in the center of the garden. How how can there be two in the center? Well, because God's intentional. He knows that whatever we put in the center of our lives will control us. So there's two trees in the center. There's the tree of what? Tree of life representing who? Who? 
God, right? Source of life, source of truth. And there's the tree of what? Good and evil? Knowledge. Very important, right? Knowledge of good and evil. Important to understand that it's the knowledge of good and evil because there was nothing good on this tree. It wasn't like there was a good side of the tree and a bad side of the tree. There was nothing good on this tree. Why? Because Jesus said, if you, if you eat from it, you will surely die. The whole tree was death. The whole tree was death. And this actually represents self. And so uh, they're put in this position, and God says, don't eat of this tree. You can eat of this tree and any of the other trees, actually. There's just one you shouldn't eat from. And so what do Adam and Eve do? What most rebellious children do. Do the one thing you tell them not to, right? And so they go to that tree, they eat the fruit, they mess everything else up for all of us for the rest of time, and sin enters the world. And basically what they were put in the position of was this. Uh, God gave them a choice to make. And the question was, who will you trust? Who will you trust? You're going to trust me and what I tell you and go my way, or are you going to trust yourselves and what you think is best, what you think is right, what you think is wrong? Under your own understanding. And they had this choice. In choices, you can write this down, choices are sacred. Choices are sacred. And so they make the choice to eat of the wrong tree. And then they're what? Cut off from God. So this choice, gone. They're thrown out of the garden. This big angel army and this flaming sword put in front of the garden. They're not getting back in. And now God says, oh, you want to trust yourselves because you think you know what's right? Like, The scripture says uh, to Eve that the apple looked pleasing to the eye, um, desirable for wisdom, and good for food. So on the pros and cons list, seems like the right thing to do, right? Like, why wouldn't I eat it? Seems okay. And so that's what they do. Their own understanding of what they think is right. And so they trust themselves, and God says, if that's what you want, that's what you can have. And so I'm turning you over to yourself, which I think is the worst thing God can do to us. Is just turn us over to ourselves. And that's what Adam and Eve experienced. And that choice is cut off. And so if you ask any kind of well-meaning Christian, because this is kind of how I grew up and I I began to understand this, uh, and you ask them, what what did Jesus come to do? Like, what was the problem he came to solve? And most would kind of explain it like this. Well, Jesus came, lived a sinless life because uh, we all sinned. We deserve death. He he didn't deserve death because he was sinless. So he deserved eternal life. But instead, he died in our place, gave up his life as the final sacrifice, his blood spilled. Um, no more sacrifice needed for our sin, ultimate forgiveness of sin. And through that action um, and his resurrection from the dead, he actually made this choice open again, right? Because we had a distance problem, right? We were separated from God, had a distance problem. So Jesus came. And so the problem was distance. Jesus came, died on the cross, rose again, and solved the distance problem And how is that solved for us now? How do we solve the distance problem in our own lives? How do we come back to God? It's really just with a decision, right? We make a decision to surrender, to submit to the lordship of Jesus and follow him and distance problem closed, right? And most people would say, this is what Jesus came to do and the problem he came to solve. And I would say, yes, that's actually absolutely true. And it's incomplete. There's actually another problem Jesus came to solve. Uh, Can I borrow somebody's glasses? If you don't mind taking them off for a second, can I borrow this? Can I put them on? Uh, Okay, let's see what happens. Woo! Okay. Um, I'm just going to hold on to these. Um, So so imagine, uh, tell me your name again. 
Christina, I knew that. Okay. So Christina, uh, she's without her glasses. Okay. Um, so I want you to close your eyes for a second. Okay. Just keep them closed. Okay. You can open your eyes. Okay. Christina's got a major problem right now. What's the problem? She can't see. Oh, she can't see. She, what she needs to find her glasses is gone. Right? She needs her glasses to find her glasses. So she's, she doesn't just have a distance problem. She's not just separated from her glasses. She has, I believe, an equally bigger problem or, or an equally big problem. And that is what? I did hide them. Yes. But she can't see. She's actually dependent on her glasses for sight. Adam and Eve, when they were separated, they had the distance problem. But I think an equally as big problem that they had that I never really understood until uh, later on in life was this. They had a dependency problem. They were turned over to themselves. And so what they actually needed for truth and for life, they were separated from. And they needed truth in life to get back to truth in life. But they were separated from it. And so they were only dependent upon themselves. And they couldn't, they couldn't operate the way they were meant to operate. Because they were only dependent upon themselves, right? Okay. Christine, I'll give these back so you can actually see the rest of this. Thank you. So a dependency problem. And um, how is the dependency problem solved? The dependency problem solved is it solved uh, through a decision of discipleship. Discipleship is an ongoing daily spiritual growth journey in your relationship with God, right? Um, spiritually growing, owning your own spiritual growth and doing it with, uh, with God's people, the church. And so the good news was that when Jesus uh, died on the cross and rose from the dead, the good news, we had the choice again. The bad news, we have the choice again. <laughs> Every day to choose. Now, I can have this moment of surrender to give my life to Christ and say, I'm going to follow you, and I want you to lead my life, and I want to make you Lord of my life. And that, that can secure salvation, um, and there's some debates about that, I know. But um, now every day, guess what? I have the choice again. And here's what, most, here's what most people end up doing. I say yes to Christ. I want to follow him. I want to know everything I can about him. Um, but here's what I've done. I've lived so many years eating off of this tree trusting myself, doing things my own way, my own habits have been established, and uh, habitually I've been living off of this tree, and so now I'm making the decision that this, this door is open, this tree is open, I can go back to the relationship with God and begin to follow his way. And it takes intentional pursuit and intentional effort and some intentional habits to put in place to begin to develop in my relationship with Christ and move to this tree, right? But I think the reason, uh, you know, we may say yes to Jesus and then nothing changes in our life or we don't feel any different is because I may have said yes, but then I just go back to the same tree, expecting different results. Which is why there's, you know, oftentimes kids who, you know, go to camp, they say yes, this happened to me, uh, yeah, say yes to Jesus. Nothing feels super different, so maybe I didn't do it right. Next year I'm going to do it again. So I'm going to go forward again, I'm going to accept Christ again. And maybe it still didn't really take, or I don't know what's going on, so I'm going to try again. And maybe the fifth time, fourth, fifth time, I'll get it right. What it comes down to is after that decision is made is how do I begin to live off of this tree? 
and put my complete dependence in God and actually let him lead and not just say, oh, I have him with me now. And so when I need him, I'm going to pull him out, right? And back pocket Jesus is going to be convenient for me because now I have another weapon in the arsenal that when things go bad, I can just pull him out and let him lead. And, and, and the deal is this. Uh, we're so good at trusting ourselves and depending on ourselves and calling our own shots because this is what the culture teaches. Hey, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You got this, which that's actually impossible to do, by the way. Have you ever tried it? We aren't meant to control our own lives or lead our own lives. We're meant to be led by him and be dependent on him. And this is the other problem that Jesus came to solve was uh, the dependency <laughs> issue. Um, typically what we try to do, if this whole tree is dead, this is all death. We're really good. Uh, getting back to the question, why don't I feel newness all the time? One, because we plug into ourselves all the time. So if I took my phone, and let's say it's dead, and I plug it in, and if I took the other end that's supposed to go into the outlet, and I just tried to do this, try to plug it into itself, I mean, it's silly, right? You can't charge a dead thing from a dead thing. Yet so many times, it's what we try to do is, hey, I don't feel right, I don't feel good, I'm going to try to do something different, I'm going to change up my environment. I'm going to change up my behavior and try to be a better person. You can't charge a dead thing from a dead thing. You've got to go to the source of life and let him actually lead to be out front of you and to begin to guide you toward the life that he's called you to. And we're going to begin to see this happen in the life of Gideon over the next couple of scenarios that we walk through um, tomorrow. The other reason we don't feel newness all the time, and I'm going to, I'm going to end with this, is uh, because we have a real enemy. And the enemy attacks. The enemy hates you. Hates the fact that you have anything to do with Jesus, anything to do that, with anything good. And so his full-time job is to steal, kill, and destroy, right? Uh, he's, he's just trying to take us out. And many times we think we're fighting a physical battle. And we get stuck in the physical layers. And that's where the enemy wants to trap us. And that's where Gideon was. Stuck in this physical layer battle. Circumstantial battle. Lost sight of spiritual battle. And scripture is very clear to us that the war we fight is not against flesh and blood, right? But against the darkness, the principalities of, of the spiritual realm. That's where the battle is. So in other words, we have one enemy. And it's not your spouse. And it's not your boss. And it's not your kids. And it's not your neighbor. We have one enemy at work trying to destroy everything in our life. And we have to have that right perspective going forward in the purpose that God's created us for. Um, and so the war that we're fighting, again, I believe, is all about identity. The war is over identity. And how is it fought? How is it fought? We're going to close in Matthew 4. Okay, you can turn. I'm not going to put it up on the keynote because it's, it's a longer section. Um, but if you have a Bible, go to Matthew 4. And I just want to show you the importance of identity and how Jesus shows up in this. So Matthew 4, Jesus has uh, just been baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. And you know what God's gift is for Jesus after his baptism? Hey, go ahead and go into the wilderness and fast for 40 days and be tempted by Satan. <laughs> like, oh, thanks, Dad. Appreciate the gift. Uh, my baptism. That's great. Uh, quick side note, the reason why I think God does that, and you'll see this all through the story of God, is that God is more concerned with our preparation than he is our comfort. God's more concerned with our preparation than he is our comfort. If we try to seek ease and try to seek comfort, we're seeking the wrong God. Because God's difficulty is a part of God's rhythm. 
He's preparing us for what's next. And so Jesus is now put into the desert, and we have this temptation of Jesus, right? Um, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert, tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Yep, probably was. Uh, The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, now listen, this is the conversation happening between Satan himself and Jesus. So this is, okay, this is like the showdown of all showdowns. Like if you're going to pair up two the greatest forces ever known, you have Jesus like in the red corner and you have Satan in the blue corner and they're about to go at it. Like they're about to throw it down and see what's going to happen. And the question is, what kind of weapons are they going to use? Because they could use anything they want. And what we don't see, we don't see any weapons of mass destruction. We don't see like any lightsabers being used, right? What's used? What's the weapon of choice? Words. Words. The war is fought with words. Okay, let's listen. Here's how it goes down. The tempter came, Satan came and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it was written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and he had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike a foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Okay, I don't know what um, your typical thought is through this dialogue. What the enemy's trying to attack him with, what his strategy is. Clearly it's words. But I'm going to read this again. And we're going to see what Satan actually goes after when he's coming after Jesus. Okay? The tempter comes and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Then we get down to verse 6. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, and then Satan, this is crazy, he, he actually quotes scripture. You know, Satan knows, probably knows the ink on these pages better than we ever will. But it's all he knows it as is ink on pages. He has no idea the depth or the meaning or the relationship behind it. So he can throw scripture out all day. But I love what Jesus does, especially in that uh, temptation, is he says, oh, hey, let me remind you, it's also written this. Let me just let me just share truth in the right context. Then I'll put the Lord your God to the test, right? And then there's the third uh, temptation. What's what's the enemy going after here? Identity. identity. He's got one shot at Jesus. One shot. This is it. And if I can take him out, I'm going to. And so what does he do? He uses words and he goes after identity. If this is really who you are, because he knows if I can get him off identity, If I can get him questioning identity, then it's just a matter of time before everything else crumbles. I'm coming after his identity. And this is the war that we're up against. Who does God say we are? We have to remember it. We have to have perspective of that. Who is God really? We have to understand that. We have to have perspective of that. And I believe that if we can be reminded of those things on a daily basis and choose to depend on him and not ourselves, like scripture says, I think we're unstoppable at that point for what God wants to do in us and for us and through us. And the thing I want to end with is this. Um, 
I know I said I'm ending three different times. I really am this time. Um, there's a, some of you may have heard of this. There's a letter called the Father's Love Letter. And it's a letter um, that's written from God to you. It's all lines from scripture that form this letter. And uh, I just want to read this. This is kind of our closing prayer before we go, okay? To help us have this sink in. And then again, tomorrow we'll jump into the, getting, uh, the story of Gideon to see how some of this plays out. Um, but let's go ahead and pray. Let me read this to you. Just take this in. Again, closing your eyes helps. Please do that. Here, here we go. My child, you may not know me, but I know everything about you. I know when you sit down and when you rise up, I'm familiar with all your ways. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered, for you were made in my image. In me you live and move and have your being, for you are my offspring. I knew you even before you were conceived. I chose you when I planned creation. You were not a mistake, for all your days are written in my book. I determined the exact time of your birth and where you would live. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knit you together in your mother's womb and brought you forth on the day that you were born. I've been misrepresented by those who don't know me. I am not distant and angry, but I'm the complete expression of love. And it is my desire to lavish my love on you simply because you are my child and I am your father. I offer you more than your earthly father ever could, for I am the perfect father. Every good gift that you receive comes from my hand, for I am your provider and I meet all your needs. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope because I love you with an everlasting love. My thoughts toward you are countless as the sand on the seashore. I rejoice over you with singing. I will never stop doing good to you for you are my treasured possession. I desire to establish you with all my heart and all my soul. And I want to show you great and marvelous things. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Delight in me and I will give you the desires of your heart. For it is I who gave you those desires. I am able to do more for you than you could possibly imagine. For I am your greatest encourager. I am also the father who comforts you in all your troubles. When you are brokenhearted, I'm close to you. As a shepherd carries a lamb, I have carried you close to my heart. One day I'll wipe away every tear from your eyes. And I'll take away all the pain you've suffered on this earth. I am your father and I love you even as I love my son, Jesus. For in Jesus, my love for you is revealed. He is the exact representation of my being. He came to demonstrate that I am for you, not against you, and to tell you that I'm not counting your sins. Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled. His death was the ultimate expression of my love for you. I gave up everything I loved that I might gain your love. If you receive the gift of my son, Jesus, you receive me. And nothing will ever separate you from my love again. Come home and I'll throw the biggest party heaven has ever seen. I've always been father and will always be father. My question is, will you be my child? I'm waiting for you. Love your dad, almighty God. God, thanks so much for this time. Thank you for the truth that guides our lives and helps us remember who you really are, what you've done for us and who we really are. And then what we get to do because of that. Continue to speak to us this week. Continue to challenge us. Continue to stir in our hearts, Holy Spirit. And we choose to continue to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are all set. Any announcements? Nope. Okay, we're good to go. Have a good rest of the day. Enjoy lunch in the afternoon.